Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. And we're very excited to kick off the new year with you in our study of the Book of Mormon. We are in the Come, Follow Me manual, and our first lesson for the year is titled, Introductory Pages of the Book of Mormon, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And so that brings us right to the title of the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And why is this book a testament of Jesus Christ? Previous to our lesson in the manual, there are prophetic promises written out in your manual that you can go over, and it's wonderful to look at those promises from our prophets. And my thoughts immediately went to many of the um, words that President Nelson has shared with us about the promises of the Book of Mormon. He's promised that it can bring power into our life and help us make better decisions daily as we study and apply the Book of Mormon in our life. And as I was thinking of how often he's been talking about that, I, I recognize that he's been talking about um, the atonement in many of his talks in the past couple of decades. And there's one, one thought that came to my mind that I went to my phone to look up. Um, he was comparing how often the atonement is found in the Book of Mormon, the word atonement is found in the Book of Mormon compared to the New Testament. And because I was still um, excited about how much I grew and my relationship with the Savior grew from my study of reading the New Testament in our Come, Follow Me manual. I was excited about looking at that because it was such a great experience this past year, and I love the Book of Mormon. There's so many promises, and we know that there's power in the Book of Mormon, and so with that positive experience from the New Testament, I was excited to kind of look at those promises of what it's going to be like this year. So as I was looking up the this statistic I was looking for. So President Nelson has said a few times in, in the talks in the past couple decades that in the um, New Testament, there's one reference to the word atonement. And in the Book of Mormon, there's 39 references to the word atonement. And that one reference is in Romans. But as I was looking for this, I came upon other statistics about Jesus Christ in the Book okay. of Mormon. And I received this from the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum, which is an independent um, research project in Utah. and But I liked the statistics they shared with Christ. It says that Christ, um, there's a reference to Christ in 1.7, in every 1.7 verses in the Book of Mormon. There are 36 discussions about Christ's death and crucifixion. There's 88 discussions of the resurrection. And there's 117 different names for Christ in the Book of Mormon which I thought would be a lot of ornaments for your tree. I was just thinking about that. I think yes. there's more than that. Um, I just got Elder Holland's book, which is about all the names of Christ, which I'm very excited to read. There are many more than 117. Christ speaks 1,221 words in 3rd Nephi. And we know that there's about 2,500 men, women, and children who physically see and hear the living Christ in 3rd Nephi. And so I just loved visualizing those numbers and recognizing that Christ individually speaks to the children of God. And, and I do think it's interesting, too. You know, sometimes people are confused. And I think that the transition that we've been making over the last year and a half or so with the name of the church um, will probably help with that. But it's been surprising to me personally 
to find how many people upon finding out my religion are surprised to learn that I also think of myself as a Christian. But when you look at the Book of Mormon and how prevalently and openly and with so much clarity these prophets are teaching about Christ, um, it becomes so clear and obvious that everything that we as a restored church are founded on is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I love that. Right. I love that you brought up how important stating that we are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is and just the power of the name and making sure that Jesus Christ is in everything that we talk about and how there is that misconception sometimes because we have a book titled The Book of Mormon. And I'm excited to differentiate all those things. Why is it called The Book of Mormon? Who are Who's Mormon? Who's Moroni? What are these symbols that we use? And actually, I found it a very strong connection with the Book of Revelation that made this transition s- seamless. If you look at um, the uh, last section of the Book of Revelation, it tells us that the purpose of the church and the kingdom of God of, on earth, the church of God on earth, is to bring the members of that church the testimony of Jesus and that through the testimony of Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of prophecy in our lives. We have individual revelation we can receive and revelation for our family. But then I also thought about Moroni. And how important he is in this in this introduction, and how he is the symbol for our church in many ways. So even though this is called the Book of Mormon, if you get one of those old blue handout books, Book of Mormons, there's an angel on the front heralding in the message of Jesus Christ. And that is the angel Moroni. But it was nice to stop and think about all these images and why these are the images we see. We know Moroni wandered with Mormon at the end of his life, and we'll talk about that. But you don't necessarily, and even though you know the angel Moroni is who came to Joseph Smith, this trumpet, the heralding in of bringing this to all nations, kindred, tongues, and people is that picture. That is the picture of Moroni in the front. He is the angel at the top of our temples. And that is a reference to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 6. We didn't talk about this in the book of Revelation because there was so much to talk about. When we got to this part, we kind of skipped over it. But at this point, there are um, three angels that come. And the first angel, John sees him directly overhead, having the eternal gospel proclaimed to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. And you'll hear that phrase over and over again. And so when you see Moroni standing at the top of that temple, that is the reference that we're making there. He is the same, that's the image. So we're going from this book of Revelation where we receive that image to seeing how he's really doing this in the fullness of the times and at the beginning of this dispensation. So I think that's a wonderful intro for who is about to talk to us about this title page. Yes, and I and I also think, you know, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about we're going to go into the introduction to the Book of Mormon here. Well, I guess the title page is what it's called, but I almost think of it as like, you know, this is the introduction from the from the plates 
that we are receiving. And as we're going through this, one of the things that really stood out to me is all of the many men and women that came together to get this book into our hands today. Me too. I was, was really impressed with Moroni and Mormon and Joseph Smith and the witnesses. And what I what I thought was interesting about this is these these children of God are not conduits that God just hands something to. These are people that received assignments and were partnered with Christ in his work and he gave them the opportunity to to grow because of that. This this could all be handed to everyone. But Heavenly Father loves his children and gives them these opportunities to be partnered in his work, which is work. Because you see over and over again, Joseph Smith receiving so much information that you're like, wow, that's great. If if an angel came to me and gave me this much information, that would make it a lot easier. And then you think, oh, wait, no, Joseph Smith worked a lot and had a lot of other things in between all that. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that stood out to me I, as I was looking at Look, reading through this title page and really like trying to, I guess, picture this time and what, like the intent of what this book it can be for us. And I was praying and picturing the people that came to bring this all to pass. And it was interesting because I started to say for like these men and these prophets and the spirit told me and the women too, because although our histories are not very great about documenting what the women have done, we know and the spirit testified to me that the women in all of these in throughout all of time, whether we're talking about the time of all of the prophets of the Book of Mormon times or it, during the restoration or in our day today, that the faithfulness and the desire of these women's hearts to be in light was instrumental as well in bringing all these things to pass. That's interesting. I thought as um, I was thinking of Mormon and Moroni being alone mm -hmm. in their last days, I too saw that there were faithful women that were sustaining them, that they were also... I thought about the idea of what it feels like to be alone and how that feels when you are the... Um, end of those that are the heads of dispensations that require keys, which is what happened with Lehi all the way down to Moroni. What does it feel like to be the last person seeing everybody around you being killed? And, um, and yet I saw that there were, they didn't feel alone because they were with Christ. Christ was with them. And that there were also women, righteous women too. And, and then angels, I, I'm sure yeah. and, and angels sustaining them. And then, and then to feel like, what would, what did Joseph Smith's feelings of feeling alone? And I thought about the topic of feeling alone and knowing that when you're partnered with Christ, that's a completely different feeling. Because when I looked at this title page, I did not get the impression of a father and a son wandering and feeling bitterness and loneliness. In fact, there was much charity on this title page as they are actually compiling plates that will be given to the Lamanites who were hunting them down. Exactly. Yes. So there is charity here when many people look at them and think, oh, they're wandering alone. And I just felt that Christ was with them. So let's talk about who is in the title page. But what were you going to say first, Michelle? No, I was just going to say that it's interesting how those at the end of the dispensation 
and are similar in many ways, I think, to those at the beginning of the dispensation in terms of having to stand in a place that hasn't, that they haven't been able to see it modeled for them what they're doing. They just have to stand and do it according to the direction of God. And I think that's a really cool model when we are in those places of our life where we are being asked to do something that we haven't seen modeled before. We haven't seen what that's supposed to look like or how to successfully navigate it. But all we can do is trust in God to say, okay, here I am. I'm standing in a place that I don't know what this is supposed to look like. And so it's really actually kind of beautiful because in those moments we have an, an, an opportunity to choose to use our agency to partner with the Savior and get that direction. Absolutely. And we've already discussed this with Mormon, Moroni, Joseph Smith. And now let's look at Lehi and, and Jared and the brother of Jared, because that is the same thing that we see here in the title page. So we have an account written by the hand of Mormon. Really, this is written... So Mormon, apparently the people of the Americas had lots of plates. And Mormon abridged them, and that was quite a project, I'm sure, to figure out how to abridge them, but he states that it's by the power of God, and and Moroni, his son, also abridged these. And so at the bottom of the title page, it says it's translated by Joseph Smith, and that this is this title page was the last page of the plates of Moroni. And so really, it's probably one of his last tra- things that he translated. And then Moroni wrote this title page, which I thought was very sweet because it's called the Book of Mormon. It almost felt like a tribute that Moroni could have called this the Book of Mormon and Moroni. Mm-hmm. And he chose to honor his father. And I just thought clearly there was a loving relationship there. And so we have this in two paragraphs. The first paragraph talks about um, Lehi's posterity and the second paragraph paragraph talks about Jared's posterity. And I really loved that this was an abridgment of the people of Nephi and also the Lamanites written to the Lamanites who are a remnant of the house of Israel. So we know that we are starting off with a group of people that have the law of Moses, that have insight into this heritage, and they are from the house of Israel. Lehi is from the house of Manasseh. And so This is happening 600 BC. That's about the same time. Well, it's the same time as the prophet Jeremiah. And we know that during that time, there is corruption, that Jeremiah is fighting, that Jeremiah has discord between all the leaders in Jerusalem, that the prophet is not aligned with the priests of the temple. And so even though they have the law of Moses, it is definitely in jeopardy as far as what that means to the okay. people. So when you say that Jeremiah is not aligned with the priests of the temple, do you mean that Jeremiah is receiving the word of God, but the priests are not in tune or in connection with that as well? Right. So if you look at the um, at Jeremiah, there's corruption with the king. The, the book of Jeremiah is all about uh, warnings. And, and the priests, the king, and the leaders of, of Israel are who he's talking to. I'm just clarifying that Jeremiah was a prophet that was following the Savior. It was the other people who were not aligned with what was... Right. Correct. And I would love... I think we're going to end up talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah a little bit more at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. Because as I've thought about it more, there is a reason why 
yes, Lehi left. We know the beginning of the Book of Mormon. But I see the preservation of truth is what the Lord wanted wanted him to to take with him. We know he goes back to the plates. There is an importance to cor- to making sure that those records were not corrupted, that they had that truth. It is tradition in the Bible for a man to lead a group of people into a promised land. That's how tribes went. So, so as he goes out, he is using the same pattern that you see in the Old Testament. There's not, it's not like our archetypes change much with God. Well, and one of the things that I found as a pattern here in this title page, so we have in the first paragraph, you know, we are seeing that it's written by the spirit of prophecy, which is something that we talked about in our very first episodes of the podcast. So I love seeing that come again. But at the end of the paragraph, that it was sealed by the hand of Moroni and hid up unto the Lord to come forth in the due time. And then in the second paragraph, as we're talking about the people of Jared, um, What is the purpose? Why has this been saved? That the people may know the covenants of the Lord and that they are not cast out forever. And one of my thoughts was, like, the Lord plans, like you were talking about the preservation of truth, and that's what made me think of, the Lord plans for our rescue in exquisite detail. Absolutely. He can perfectly see what obstacles are going to lie in our path and what, what may pull us off or what what may impede our ability to be connected to him and he plans for our rescue actively at centuries ahead of time if needed absolutely and that he keeps his promises and i think that's one thing that we're seeing over and over testified in this page is that god keeps his promises to us even if it may not appear to us how that is going to possibly work out he keeps his promises. Absolutely. And and I'm excited because those themes that we've been talking about, higher and lower law, faith, hope, and charity, and covenant keeping people and the promises made to them, we get here right on the title page knowing that we're about to get a book full of it. And so we're going to get to keep talking about these things. When you talk about the covenants of the Lord, the house of Israel that Lehi came from was came from the Abrahamic covenant given to Jacob, Jacob given to, to Joseph, and Joseph given to Manasseh, and, and Lehi's from the tribe of Manasseh. So there's nothing here that we aren't, you know, referring back to. These covenants are from the Lord, and it is by the hand of the Lord that, that these promises will come to pass. I, as we're talking, there's so much revelation that we're going to talk about with Isaiah and promises to the house of Joseph of Israel that that I just see coming forth in in this scripture, and so we have um, we have uh, that this is sealed up, and that Moroni knows that the Lord will bring it forth in His day and time. He doesn't know how that's going to happen, but he knows this is the Lord's work, and he knows it will happen. Which is what I think is so interesting, because the path that God, I, when I look at all of our paths from going from before our time here on earth and then we journey while we're here on earth we get our body and we have these experiences and we have our parts to play so these are themes that we've talked about that we've really helped to pull out it from the new testament before we return to god but each of us have our own unique path there's not like one path that we're all trying to align with we each have 
a path and a journey that we're taking. And one of the things that I'm seeing here, which is can be reassuring, if you are ever in a position like I have been to feel like the path is not very straight to get to the promised blessings. I've made covenants. I've received um, priesthood blessings. I've prayed and received thoughts and revelation and answers for blessings or things that will come. And then I look at the path that I'm on and I think, okay, well, this path certainly doesn't seem like it's heading toward those blessings that have been talked about and have been promised. And I find it reassuring to see that even the prophets have had the, this same kind of journey and experience that the path that we're on, it, it's not going to be a straight shot from where we are to the blessings. We're almost like I can think of road trips where there's sometimes when you're driving and the road is winding and you really can only see like 50 feet in front of you, maybe less, depending on the pathway. If it's like a mountain winding road, as opposed to if you're on a flat road driving out, you could see the horizon quite a bit. I mean, you can see the road quite a bit ahead of you. And I think sometimes I feel the most comforted or reassured or it's easiest to keep my faith strong about these promises when I'm on that flat stretch of road and I can see the horizon ahead. <laughs> right. But I feel like this earthly life isn't actually designed to work that way. We're on the mountain roads here where even though the road will get us there, we can only see until the next bend. Right. I love that because we're looking at these prophets, Joseph Smith and Moroni and Mormon, and knowing that they have received amazing revelation and they know their assignments and they they have been given, they have been commanded to do these things. And yet they don't know what the outcome will look like. They just know it's the Lord's work. And yes, don't we all have that experience where we receive assignments and, and and we know, we know what our role is on some level, and yet the path may be very windy. So let's also talk about the second paragraph, which is the abridgment of the book of Ether. These are a book of people, these are the Jaredites. So the Jaredites, Lehi leaves in 600 BC, the Jaredites leave in around 12, 2200 BC. That is in the dispensation of no... Uh, Noah. It's after the table, after the Tower of Babel, and the prophets have said that this, the Jaredites were most likely speaking the Adamic language at this time, and they didn't want that to be corrupt. And so, to me, it was, I was very impressed by how these group of people are leaving before th their truth is corrupted. I found, as I was reading this, how, the importance of that—that that preserving truth and knowing God and and his word is that important that these men were led to become to become heads of dispensations that required new priesthood keys in a new promised land, and they and they set off to do that, exactly coming in line with what we were just talking about. That these are people that understand Christ from Moses or from Adam, and they are. We're talking about Christ in this book so much because these are people that know Christ. These are people that are around people that are are familiar with dreams and visions and revelation of Christ's coming. And so um, when we talk about Moroni bringing in this, this heralding this message to all nations, kindred, tongues, and people, he is, um, he is really heralding in something that has been taught throughout dispensations of times and has now been brought to the fullness of time. And so when we originally would go from this translation 
it would go from this testimony of Mormon Moroni to the, the witnesses' testimonies, the 12 witnesses' testimonies that correlate with that, that say that this is that same message throughout dispensations that are now being brought in the fullness of times to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, which is how our testimonies of the witnesses start. Yes, and as you were talking, I was thinking about in the same way that the people of Jared, for example, were given the escape route to leave with their truth intact, I think that in a much less concrete way, we are given opportunities here in our life on a regular basis to step into new paths to head different directions as needed in order to leave behind things that would corrupt the truth that we have. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think that those things are different for every person. I don't think that there's like one universal thing, but I can certainly think of things in my life that I have felt promptings and nudges to shed, to purge, to leave behind. And as I look at this, it's actually not that dissimilar from what these people were asked to do to step away from these societies or these communities and cultures of people that were that would threaten to pull them away from their truth that we also have that opportunity it seems like so many things in our day are much less um concrete which makes it a little harder to see as much as if you were to watch a group of people like hop in their vehicles and drive into the wilderness it doesn't look like that for us because we still um, live among each other it's more using our agency to choose carefully the things that we keep in our life that concept that, that we talked about if several episodes back about curating what's in our life right and so when we look at the symbol of entering into the promised land that has been used throughout the scriptures throughout dispensations because it's a representation of entering into the rest of God and entering into his rest and his truth and preserving his truth and staying with his truth is where we find that rest. And so when we go, so even though originally this would go straight into the witnesses, this second page of the introduction is the actual introduction. And in this, it tells us that this contains um, readings, uh, words about Christ, like the Bible, but this has the fullness of the everlasting gospel. And so what does that mean? What does the fullness of the everlasting gospel mean? And so we're going to look at that in this introduction. We have um, the plan of salvation is discussed in more detail in the Book of Mormon than in any other of, of the Old Testament or New Testament. It's not called the plan of salvation. You're not going to see the celestial glories and a, a nice chart, but you get the plan of salvation, you get plan of happiness, plan of redemption, plan of mercy, plan of restoration, and we'll see the Melchizedek priesthood. Which all comes together to say there is a plan. There is a plan. God has a plan for how we're going to make it through this world of commotion, confusion, and shadows of darkness. There is a plan. And Amen and glory to God for right, that. Right, forever I'm so and ever. Thankful. And so we'll see God and his mercy. We'll see Jesus Christ and his grace. We will see these throughout um, the Book of Mormon. The crowning event that it specifies in here is, is third Nephi when Christ comes and about 2,500 men, women, and children physically see and hear 
the living Christ. And so we have there where he shows us the organization of the church again. And so we have we have these truths that are truths that are not corrupted. They have not gone through many people's hands. They have gone through prophets' hands, and they were then abridged by Mormon and Moroni, and they were brought forth by the prophet of God, Joseph Smith, in the fullness of times with the fullness of the everlasting gospel. And so that's why the in this introduction, the church um, wrote, I think it was published, oh, it was published in 1981. They quote Joseph Smith telling us that this is the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion. A man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And we know that it doesn't say by reading it, but abiding by the precepts of Christ and acting on these precepts of Christ, pondering, reflecting, applying, and acting, abiding by these precepts will bring power into your life. And I would point out, too, that what Joseph Smith is referring to here, I believe, is not you're going to get near to God by following what I say or because of what these... uh, but that you are going, in other words, this is not so much about the people that are bringing this truth to you. It's about the truth itself that has the power to save. Absolutely. That, that is the keystone of our religion. Christ is the Christ keystone is of the our keystone religion. keystone of our religion. Thank you. And, and you'll recall, so the next, and I'd like to just read the next paragraph because it, and it reminded me of James 1, 5, because I will say with all gratitude, thank you for the preservation of the Bible that brought us James 1.5 and and inspired Joseph Smith to, to pray and receive this revelation. It says, like that, we invite all men everywhere and women to read the Book of Mormon, to ponder in their hearts the message it contains. And this is what I would suggest for the beginning of this reading for this year and how we look at the Come Follow Me program to ponder in their hearts the message it contains, and then to ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, if this book is true. Those who pursue this course and ask in faith will gain a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is a promise at the end of Moroni. And interestingly, we're being instructed here to follow a pattern. Moroni's giving a, a pattern for us to follow, and maybe don't limit what we think can come from following that pattern because it's really the same pattern that Joseph Smith himself followed in order to learn all the things that he learned was to go in faith, to have a hope that God would respond to his genuine asking and that that promise is there for us. We have those scriptures. James 1.5 is part of our scriptures that we read for ourselves. Those promises are just as true for us as they were for the prophet Joseph Smith in his day. And we have an additional witness of that promise in the book of Moroni that you just read here in the introduction that we are invited to ask, to read, to ponder, to ask, and to see what will come from that. And if you're excited about the promises that were given to you that you saw when you read the book of Revelation, this last paragraph reminded me that that this is a real power that will come to you as you read the Book of Mormon, that those who gain the divine witness from the Holy Spirit will also come to know by the same power that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. 
that Joseph Smith is his revelator and prophet in these last days, and that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the Lord's kingdom, once again established on the earth, preparatory to the second coming of the Messiah. And that is the seamless transition between what we read at our last week's lesson and today, that as we ask in faith and nothing wavering, that we can receive the knowledge that Jesus Christ is a savior, that Joseph Smith is our prophet that brought us this, and that this is the Lord's church on the earth, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I think one of the things that is interesting to consider as we are looking at, you know, gaining a witness, which is what this is saying of Joseph Smith, I think that some people, before even seeking to know if Joseph Smith is a prophet, will have to take a step back from that and ask to gain a witness that that the Lord can have a prophet. Yes, ask to gain a witness for the truthfulness of all the process that we see here too. Right. That it's, that it's not just, is Joseph Smith a prophet, but it's, does the Lord work through prophets? And as you were able to gain a testimony of that foundation first, it, and I think it's okay. I think it's okay to seek to understand how God works with his people and to understand that. And as you gain that foundation from there, be able to move toward understanding now how does that look in our day so again i go back to the fact that this work god could just hand things to these people instead he works in mercy and in love and in generosity to all the people that he that were willing to use their agency to align themselves with christ and his work as we see here we have the three witnesses so what we have next are 12 witnesses. We have the three, we have Joseph Smith's witness and testimony. We have the testimony of Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris, and then we have the eight witnesses. So it starts with the three witnesses, the testimony of the three witnesses. And these men sacrificed so much to bring forth these plates and to help with the work that Joseph Smith had to do. It was very tender to me to see the mercy that um, God had for them and to bring it into their lives. That through their desire to be coupled in his work, he blesses them and they sacrifice so much, but then they were able to know him more, know Christ more. And that's what I see with these witnesses. Yes. As you look at the separation between the three and eight witnesses, the three witnesses And the eight witnesses had a different experience with being able to um, witness of the plates. And it's interesting because the three witnesses had a angel come down from heaven. And so there was a divine experience that also came with being able to witness these plates and to see it. It says through the grace of God two different times in this witness and, um, He says, so it says, through the grace of God, we have seen the plates. And going down a little further, we also know that they have been translated by the gift and power of God, for his voice hath declared it unto us. Right. So they saw Moroni, but they also heard God declare it. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. And then just further. And they got to touch the plates. Right. So like, I'm not really sure if people fully 
have absorbed that little piece before, but, and that an angel of God came down from heaven and brought and laid before us these plates through the grace of God. And so they're sharing that they were, that they, that this was an experience for them. This wasn't just, oh yes, we went into the room, we saw the plates, end of story, because they're testifying of the whole process. And then I loved at the very end of this witnesses that they demonstrated not just that they that they saw and heard things, but they also demonstrated that they understood the saving power of the Savior in addition to recognizing mm-hmm. the, the divinity of the atonement. Because at the end, they wrap up and say, and we know that if we are faithful in Christ, we shall rid our garments of the blood of all men and be found spotless before the judgment seat of Christ and shall dwell with him eternally in the heavens. And that felt very New Testament to me. I loved it. Um, and the honor be to Father and to the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yes. I always like, yeah, very, yeah. very New yes. Testament. Well, and if you think about it, so so these are actually physically pla- physical pa- plates that weigh like 50, 60 pounds. So people had seen the plates veiled, literally veiled mm-hmm. before. Um, and so there was a difference between those that got to see them just visually from afar, those that got to actually hold, hold them and those that had the linen taken away and they saw them, they saw the, the, the plates. And I just think for Joseph Smith, you know, at 14, he received the vision at almost 17, he, Moroni comes to him with more instruction, more envision. For several years, he goes back to the Hill Cumorah. He finally gets the plates. And this, I don't know chronologically where this is, but this is probably another year or two, a couple years after, probably, yeah. We're, they're at the Whitmer farm. And so, I mean, this is after several years of Joseph Smith being told, you can't, nobody else can see these. Nobody else can touch these. Nobody else. That's just, I just felt so much relief for Joseph Smith having three more people to say, it's not just Joseph. I have seen these. And so the mercy for Joseph Smith and then the mercy for Oliver Cowdery, who worked so hard to translate and had not yet seen them, for David Whitmer that sacrificed so much so that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery had a place to actually translate, and then Martin Harris, who gave up family and money and everything to, to be one of these witnesses. These men, it, it's just beautiful to see that Heavenly Father blessed them after all that work. So here's an interesting thought, and it, and it may be incomplete and not be a very solid analogy, but as you were talking about these plates and how they were veiled and how different people had different experiences with them, I thought about how regardless of what people's experiences were with the plates themselves in terms of being able to see it or not see it, to touch it or not touch it, that the power that the truth in the book could bring to their lives was all the same. That 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 truth was not limited to these 11 people. And it made me think of the Savior and our access to him. And some people are given different ways of being a witness of the Savior. And that as we... I guess I just really thought of how interesting that is to consider how different people through time have had interactions with the Savior and that 
our access to his light and the atonement is not dependent on exactly what our physical experiences with him while we're in mortality. Right. And so these certain people have been set aside aside at the fullness of the times to be literal witnesses, to have their testimony be tested and be the ones that are held up to this experience. There was one other person that literally saw the plates that most people don't want know about. So many other people kind of saw, when I say many, I mean Eight. twice yeah. as much also saw them, like Emma Smith, she saw them with the linen over them, and, and she's not in here. But Mary Whitmer, so for the Whitmer family, they sacrificed a lot for these people to be able to be in their home and to, to translate. And as a woman, she expressed a lot of charity to make this happen. And so Morona came to her and showed her the plates. She doesn't have to stand as a witness, but he said to her, I should have looked it up because it's a really sweet story, that these women that we know are there that's, that have that relationship with Christ and are, are looking towards the light and, and, and are helping in his work, they don't have to stand as these witnesses in this Book of Mormon. But in, in, in his sweetness, he came to Mary Whitmer and showed her because of her sacrifice and said, well, and I think that it's interesting to show how, like, M Mary Whitmer, to me, is an example. So, m to give a little bit more fullness, Mary Whitmer was the mother of the Whitmer clan. She was hosting Joseph and Emma and Oliver as they were doing translation. And it, you know, it was an extra burden in her home and the extra work that was being needed in order to support this. And <clears throat> as... As we see, I, I think that it just goes to show my my thoughts toward the beginning of this episode where I talked about the women that in often cases are not sort of documented and yet their spiritual strength and the um, security and nurture that they bring is essential. It's sustaining the physical. Yes, it's sustaining for so many people too, and so I think that's also why we have these witnesses because the eight witnesses. It's interesting to think about the importance of the physicality of what happened. That people needed to know that there were other people that really saw this, and and so we have eight more witnesses that don't have it um, brought the witness with a. Um, an angel and, and actually hearing the words of God, but they saw that there was curious workmanship. They knew that the work that Joseph Smith was doing was true. They knew that by what they saw on the plates. And so that's a different um, testimony, but it's still one where, where this is, you know, at the, at the beginning of the Bible in the Deuteronomy, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established, which is from DNC is also I mean, that's the tradition of the Israelite law. And so these, these actual physical witnesses, it's interesting to think of, of the physicality that God gives revelation to people, but in his mercy also gives us physical things to help confirm uh, what we're experiencing from time to time. Joseph Smith had the Urim and Thummim, Thummim and, and literally, even though he didn't always look at the plates, the physicality of having the plates was important in his translation. As he got better and better, he, I mean, he didn't necessarily need all these seer stones and Urim and Thummim and, and the actual plates, 
but in God's mercy, he gives you that as your training wheels, right? We all love the training wheels to get us closer to personal revelation. Mm. And so it's nice that, that Heavenly Father comes to people with those things and allows them to participate in that so that they can grow closer to him because we're physical and we need those things from time to time. Yes. And, and so, probably more than from time to time, yeah. to be honest. Let's just say we need those things more often than we don't need those things until we develop that sort of strength, I guess. Right. Okay. And so finally, we have the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith. And I thought this was interesting because January 1st, President Nelson on church news and social media reminds us all the invitation he gave us to learn more about Joseph Smith and the church history in preparation for conference in April. And so as I looked at this, I thought, well, how in depth should we go? And But I will just use this opportunity to remind everybody that he's asked us to go look at the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith, which is we have here at the beginning as an, ec- an excerpt from the personal history, let's see, of Joseph Smith history and the Pearl of Great Price. And so what we have here is more the actual, okay, this is the assignment I received, and this is how it happened. And so I just wanted to kind of maybe go through a little overview on this. I I think it's so interesting when people talk about Joseph Smith as someone just accounting his personality and and how this great work came about, and everybody loves to emphasize how uncouth and unlearned and how unrefined like um, Joseph Smith is. And yet, I know that Joseph Smith was born with a sensitivity that made him just a lovely person. <laughs> well, and, and with the ability to discern things, because intelligence is not... There's a difference between intelligence and education, which is seeding the obvious here. But in order for Joseph to be able to um, process and integrate and discern all of these things that he did shows a great level of intelligence that he had to have had. The story here, it you know, it's interesting. It's just a little excerpt from the prophet Joseph Smith, and it's really the story, you know, it doesn't even share the first vision in here. It's talking about... A great part of it is talking about Moroni coming to visit him in his bedroom and teaching him about that there are these plates and a lot of divinity associated with that, a lot of instruction. It's this very revelatory thing for Joseph. And he has this, again, interaction with a... um, I was going to say celestial, and I don't know that that's accurate, but with a diviner heavenly being and this whole thing, which would be enough of a magnificent experience for any one of us, right? really like an overwhelming experience to have this happen. And as he's pondering this, the room again gets lighted and he has this experience a total of four times, three that night and one in the field the next day. And I think again, Very reassuring to hear if there is something significant that the Lord needs us to do, he's going to make sure that we have more than one witness to understand and comprehend. Right. And that's what what I was struck. I was struck by that, that he will not, there will not be confusion about what we're asked to do. Now, how we do it, that's a whole nother story. Right. But, But. (laughs) but, but I think the question of, Am I called of God? And is this 
do I have a work to do? I think that that witness can be as clear as Moroni coming to Joseph's bedroom at night. I agree with you that in much the same way that the Jaredites are looking at the ocean going, okay, what, what do you, how am I supposed to cross this ocean? That we may feel that way about some of the things we come to understand about ourselves or what is being asked of us, or even just how to connect ourselves with God. But that we are of divine origin can be as clear as well and i like that you brought it back to the jaredites because we have this wonderful example of everyone's so impressed that the brother of jared finds a way to put light in the vessel and it is a beautiful story but the bigger picture is yes and god and christ were there for him the whole time and made the winds so that they could travel all the way to the Americas. And that is the bigger picture, that if we are willing to accept the assignment, that God will let us be partnered with him and that we will be part of Christ's work. And if we are willing to give him our, to use our agency to be part of that work, we will have these wonderful experiences where we learn to bring him rocks that he turns into light. But his plan is bigger and he knows all things and he will send us all the power that actually gets us from the Tower of Babel all the way over to the Americas, which that in of itself is an enormous feat that you have nothing to do with, but you get to be a part of that work. And to, and I think of Joseph Smith, he was at the age of 14, he has this experience in the Sacred Grove. At the age of 17, or no, he's almost 17 when Moroni comes to him. My son right now is almost 17. And we were in this same room in October, and my son was sitting on the bed right where Joseph Smith was. And I think to hear that your name will be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, and that that, that information was given to him at that age when people talk about Joseph Smith being uneducated and unrefined, I'm like, this person is spiritually refined. He has, from an early age, been seeking the Spirit. He has been listening to the, the Spirit talk to him from an early age and helping him from these, these points that he goes from at the age of 14 to, to 17 where he has angelic visitations. There's a lot of pondering. There's a lot of trying to live the commandments in a way that will prepare him. There's so much preparation. And so those are kind of the thoughts as I went through this, that there's a lot of work to be done in between of us using our agency to try to become more like Christ and choosing to become more like Christ and preparing in his work. And I was thinking about how, you know, as we're looking about, you know, here we're being given an opportunity this first week in January to really understand the how Joseph Smith played a part in bringing the Book of Mormon to us and correlating that with what you mentioned earlier with President Nelson reminding us about the promises that we've been given if we will do our own study in preparation for our general conference in the spring. And then I was thinking about um, 
this quote. So if we go to the prophetic promises in the Come Follow Me, um, Ezra Taft Benson shares something that I, I really enjoyed. He said, there is a power in the book which will begin to flow into your lives the moment you begin a serious study of the book. Right. And I thought about that power. And I think that that is, that there's a divine power there. I think that that's literal. I think that there is something, this unique divine power that's connected with the Book of Mormon. And I think about this year as we are aligning and transitioning with our seminary students, with our Sunday school, with our Come Follow Me I don't think it's a coincidence that we are studying and stepping into the power that comes from connecting with this book that has been designed to rescue us and connect us to the Savior as we are preparing for what the prophet has instructed us to prepare for. And it genuinely makes me feel very excited to be part of all of those who are choosing with their agency to step forward and follow this concept to begin a serious study of the Book of Mormon. And it may be for the 500th time, probably not, that's a lot, but for <laughs> not not just the first time, like it doesn't have to be your first time to begin a serious study, that I'm excited to see the power that will begin to flow into my life and into my family's life. Right, I don't think it's a coincidence that we have talked this this whole time about how throughout dispensations of times there are people that are given assignments to enter into the promised land that they are given assignments to follow by God and you know if you look at so the prophets asked us to look at this recounting from Joseph Smith and what he does is he shows you his assignment given to him that the angel comes to him and, and he's told to go to the Hill Kamara and get the plates. And, and when you're at the Joseph Smith home, so if you ever get confused between Manchester and Palmyra, the, the, um, the Joseph Smith home is on the Palmyra line. And so literally, if you just walk 100 feet or so, you're actually in, in Manchester. So if you look at the beginning of the DNC, it goes back and forth between Revelation and Manchester and Palmyra. That's because maybe he's in one place like at somebody's house and at somebody, so it's really the same place. So the Hillcomore is in Manchester. He receives this in Palmyra. The Hillcomore is three miles from his house. And my kids were always like, I can't believe Joseph Smith lived right next to the Hillcomore. Like, that's so cool. Like, how convenient is that? And I was like, no, the Joseph Smith family moved from Vermont. These people were prepared for years. Yes. They moved to the farm. When at the farm, he was, Joseph Smith was being prepared. The difference is Joseph Smith was learning to use his agency to be prepared to do the Lord's work. And he went to that hill Kimura, and he still didn't take the plates. Every year he would come back and Moroni would continue teaching him. He would get like a priesthood interview every year. There was work. There was preparation. And just like the brother of Jared, Joseph Smith showed up to do what he knew he needed to do. But God got him to Manchester. And the Smith family was there because this is the plan. And for us to see the plan all the way from the children of Israelites to the fullness of the dispensation of time, to see the fullness of gospel and recognize we're part of that 
is what we're invited to learn about this year, I feel like. Yes, and I think to also, at the same time that we're able to recognize that, to recognize that we are part of that. And in the same way that the Lord, in exquisite detail, was able to place Joseph Smith and his family where they needed to be, that he will do the same for us as we step into our work as well. Hey, Michelle, I am not surprised that seven years ago I moved across you from in the park in our neighborhood and you're part of my ward and we're doing the come follow me program together I'm excited about this year I think it's I think it's amazing and I can't wait to dive into first Nephi next week all right see you next week